guys knew this uh, show before? Have you ever seen this show before? How many, how many of you followed it before? Like three of you? Okay, all right, thanks. I appreciate that. All right, well, it will tie into what we're going to share today. Uh, we're in the book of Hebrews. If you could turn with me, if you have your Bibles with you, Hebrews chapter 5, uh, and we're going to go to verse 11. Uh, we're going to talk about the warnings. That is the third warning uh, that's in, in, in front of us. So we want to make sure that uh, we're understanding uh, the first two warnings that were presented to us in chapter 2. We saw that it says, do not drift away. And then the other one said, do not harden your hearts. And so as we're looking at the book of Hebrews, you're going to try to ask the question, now, Bruno, how in the world did that whole skit have anything to do with what we're talking about today? Well, I hope to tie that in very quickly. Um, because we are going to touch on chapter 5, verses 11 through, and now you got to go into chapter 6 through verse 12, and we'll tie it all in together because... It's a pericope, a passage that you have to bring together in order to understand what the author is writing in its totality. You can't just isolate three particular verses that's controversial throughout the entire scriptures. There's a passage here, it's the most controversial verse, I believe, that exists in our scripture. But we're going to talk and try to understand the pericope, the whole understanding of what this passage is coming together and how it ties into the theme in the book of Hebrews. But let's think about it now. We just went over a skit about someone being smarter than a fifth grader. That was a fun, uh, a fun show that Jeff Foxworthy led. He's a comedian. He did a great job. They even transi transitioned it to John Cena, which I don't know why they did that. That's probably why it's not on as much. Um, but here you see that in all of us, let's think about it. When a child, when every one of us who went from kindergarten, we began kindergarten, and the goal in kindergarten was to advance to first grade. That was the goal. That was the goal for the teacher. It was a goal for the parent. It was a goal for the student. But what you have to understand is that the bigger goal is to start kindergarten so you can end where? Where do you want to end? What's the bigger goal? Help me out. Graduation to where? From where? High school, high school. Okay, all right, high school, right? Confidently say it. High school, that's the bigger goal. But you have to take one step at a time in order to reach the bigger goal. So when you're in first grade, your next goal, your, your next goal is going to be second grade. Again, the same goal for the teacher, for the parent, and for the student. Now, we know that's pretty elementary to understand that. We understand that in anything we do, that's the goal. When you enter, when a person enters an entry-level job, this person doesn't expect to remain in the same place for the rest of their lives. That's not the goal. Now, to some, they may have to do that. That's fine. But you at least would expect a raise, right? So you want some kind of advancement. And so you have where your goal is to get to the next level. If they do, fine, okay? But... Advancement is the key. When a person enters their baseball career, professional career, they have to start somewhere in the minor leagues. But not even 2% of those who are in the minor leagues reach the major league level. But the major league level is their goal. And they work really hard. And they work countless hours trying to work on their skills to get to that next level. 
they spend hours upon hours dedicating their entire lives to get to that next level. Traveling, being away from their families. I have a friend of mine who used to play Major League Baseball, and he told me he was traveling and traveling, never seeing his children. And then when he got back home, when the season was off, it was a beautiful time for him to catch up. And it goes along with the coach. Begins in the minor league level, a professional coach. What's his goal? His goal is to get to the major league level. Maybe start as a bullpen coach if he's a pitching coach. And then wanting to become the pitching coach of the team. It, it just goes all across the line for any sports. But what about the Christian? What are we called to do? Are we called to the next level? Are we called to the next level to say it's time for us? You know, is God calling us to the next level? Well, you know, you might say, I really want to go to the next level, but there's too much going on in my life. I don't have the time you have. And by the way, do I really need to learn to get to the next level? I mean, I know I'm saved. I know Jesus died on the cross for my sin. Isn't that enough? I mean, well, you know, Bruno, you're a pastor. It's your vocation. This is your profession. You need to be doing this. You're getting paid. Well, the problem I have with that is, yes, I am getting paid, but the scriptures, do they distinguish between a professional theologian or pastor versus a layperson theologian? Let me just add the word theologian because we are all theologians. We are all Christian theologians, right? Because we're learning about Christ, the cross, and what he's done for us. The study of Christ and God. That's what Christian theologian means. And so we all have that. So the author seems to be addressing believers or Christians here. But we, we just need to find the answer to the question, are we obligated to go to the next level or is it optional? Is it optional? I mean, did God call us and say, you know, if you feel like going to the next level, just do whatever you can. I understand you're busy. I understand you got a lot going on in your world. I know you want to get your new truck and your new car and your new this and your new that. You got all these hobbies and everything going on. But in case you want to, um, you know, I'm here if you want me to help you get to the next level. That could be. But we have to see and, and, and investigate and examine what the scriptures are saying. Well, let me give you the, the scriptures are clear, and we'll hope to see this in the third warning, because as we're challenged, we're challenged because I don't think God's calling us to the same level. I don't think he's saying, enter in and stay there, hang out there for a little bit until you're ready to get to the next level, because we're all called to do it. It's a choice. And so our next level Christian, we have to look at a couple of things. So just with me, just say the next level Christians must be, first of all, they must be teachers not just lifetime students. Teachers, not just some lifetime students. So look with me to Hebrews chapter 5, 11 and 13. I'll let the scripture speak onto that. It says, now, the author is saying this. About this, we have much to say. Now, let me just stop there because about this. About this makes you stop and say, what about this? What is he talking about? Well, again, he's highlighting the superiority of Christ, angels, Moses, and now the great high priest. He's greater than all, Jesus Christ. 
He highlighted already that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he came to die for us as a propitiation for sin, a substitutionary atonement, that he is the one who came, and which God the Father has chosen the Son, and the Son is now with the Father, and they come together to accomplish what we call salvation. And salvation has three phases. Let me continue to remind you each week. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. This is important in the book of Hebrews because God is not saying just enter in and hang out at justification. He's, he's telling us to walk through sanctification. It's progressive. I don't believe it's perfectionism, sanctification, but it's progressive. But the problem is where are you on the scale? Where are we on the scale when it comes to progressive sanctification? Are we hanging out at the very beginning because it's a position? Or are we moving along and moving along and advancing to the next level? See, God wants us to advance to the next level. If you're in the military, what's the one thing? Oorah, oorah. What do they want you to do? They want you to go to the next level, right? They want you to go, God's got to help me out here. They want you to go. They're always looking for you to get to the next level. They don't want you to hang out at an E4, an E5. They want you to keep going. But you have to show yourself what? A good soldier, ready to be a servant, obedient, ready to move forward, ready to do what you need to do, always allowing your officer who is in charge of you to say, look, I'm ready to go to the next level. But you got to prove it. you got to show them with attitude and character with dignity and respect. This is what God, I believe, is saying the same now. So here he is now, God speaking through his author, and he says about this, this whole thing of the high priest, about the superiority of Christ, but just recently the high priest, and Melchizedek, which is in chapter 7, but he highlights, he just touches on it in verse 10, and he says, we have much to say. Here we go again, he's saying, he's speaking, but now he's going to talk about hearing again. Third warning, watch. It is hard to explain. The question is, what is it hard to explain? Is it the subject matter or what I'm about to say? Watch. He says, since you have become dull of hearing. Dull of hearing. Dull, what that word means is sluggish. Lazy. That's what it means. It's the exact word what it means in the, in, in the, in the Greek. Unconcerned. Chapter 2, verse 3, let us not neglect so great a salvation. The word neglect, similar to that, unconcerned, lazy, sluggish, dull, easily offended. I don't want to hear it anymore, Lord. That's enough. You're asking me to do too much. I got my own life to live. You got to back off a little bit, Holy Spirit. I got things in my life. See, we get sluggish. We get lazy. And this is what's, what he's saying. He's saying to the new believer, the Jewish believer, that they're immature. Because he goes on to say in verse 12, he says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. I don't know if you ever played that game, but I have. And let me tell you, there were fifth graders smarter than me. <laughs> I sat there and said, man, I don't know any of these answers. And I felt offended a little bit. I felt a little bit out of place. I was like, wow, I got to get back to studying just basic, basic truth or basic principles of education and information. Because I, I didn't even know. I got to be honest with you, Christelle and I were talking the other day and we were like, Christelle, you know these answers? She's like, no. I said, I don't either. Joy and I were just sitting there. We we're like, I don't know. And it's just, it's so funny that there was like a list of 10 of them. But again, it talks about how we have to get back and how Christians sometimes forget what they should be doing. But the word ought is a key word there. Because it means to be obligated. 
One must, one ought, one is indebted to do so. So what the scriptures, what the author is saying, for this time you ought, you must, you should be teachers. You shouldn't just be students because students were always learning, right? If you're a student, you're in a good place because you and I were always learning. But we need to start to teach. And that's what he's saying here. But what's been the problem? They got lazy. They got off their, their focus of Christocentric teachings. They got off the focus. And so the, the author is saying, you need some milk. You need some milk. And he goes on. He says like this. He goes, he goes you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Now, I know you might be like, oh, this is cringing. Wow, now I can't even eat solid foods. Now I need some milk. But that's what the author's telling all of us. And see, unskilled means unacquainted to, accustomed to. See, unaccustomed to, and this refers to the immature believer. And it's not just ignorance, it's apathy, a refusal to move forward. That's what he's saying. He says, unconcerned about being spiritually mature. It's being happy just at that first level and not being interested to go further than that. Being happy to understand the message of the gospel, being happy to know that Jesus died on the cross for our sin, being happy to know that we could just pick up the word, up the word and read it when we feel like it, but not any further than that. Not even challenging ourselves. So see, these are people who make excuses about reading their Bibles, being dis discipled, getting involved in the ministry of the local church, sharing their faith, living in the now. That's what they're doing, emotionally based, fear-based, worried more than trusting God. That's what this, this, is, this author is talking about. In kindergarten, we used to drink what? What do we used to drink? Milk, right? Well, he says, but as adults, we don't need it. If we did, I'd be eating ice cream every day. And you're like, Dad, Bruno, you look like you're eating ice cream every day. I understand. I understand because it's difficult. I like ice cream and, you know, maybe, you know, I shouldn't be drinking and eating and eating the ice cream and drinking milk. But sometimes we go back and it's not something that we need. See, spiritually mature believers are those who are living in the flesh. Even 1 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about living carn in carnality with some aspects of spiritual immaturity. You know, I looked up an article uh, from Crosswalk about eight years ago, and one of the writers, he said, there was some listing of what does a spiritual immature Christian look like? Well, I'm going to give you a couple of things here, what he said. He says, number one, he said this, he said, spiritual infants, he called them infants, are self-centered. He goes, they're self-centered. He goes, uh, he says, they arrived at church, this is what he's saying, thinking, what can I get out of this? And then sometimes they're leaving church saying, I didn't get anything out of that today, okay? Number two, spiritual infants are noisy. They cry a lot, particularly when they don't need their, their, have their needs being met. The church leadership presents a plan for reaching young adults into community. This is what he's saying, community. And the senior adults immediately complain that the church plans to abandon them. He just said, that's immaturity on display. This is an older gentleman saying it. Then he goes on, he says, number three, spiritual infants are messy. Toddlers do not clean up after themselves. That's someone else's job. On Sunday night, after everyone has vacated the premise, walk around the building and you'll find out the heartbeat of a congregation. He says, it's just left a mess. I know this is really tough because it was tough for me to even read this. Spiritual infants are impatient. 
The crying baby cannot be told that the milk is warming and should be ready in a few minutes. He wants what he wants, and he wants it in five minutes. That reminds me of my niece when we, she was younger and living in our home. It was crazy. She drove me crazy every morning. She'd wake me up yelling at my mom for milk. So, five, spiritual infants are defined by what they cannot do. They cannot cooperate. They can't submit to others, cannot understand deep things. They're unable to apologize, mean it, and resisting sharing. Then he goes on, spiritual infants are explosive and go, can go off at any time. And then he goes, they're irresponsible. And lastly, I love this, he says, spiritual growth is a choice. It's a choice. We can choose to grow by making right choices. And when we make the wrong choices, we choose not to grow. We feel lazy on Sunday mornings and decide to sleep in. We are deciding not to grow. We decide to spend God's money on ourselves rather than give it to the church. We decide not to grow. This is what he's saying. We go, go a week without serious attention to the word of God. We are sentencing ourselves not to grow. Then he, has, he said, he discovered a human growth hormone for Christians. Watch this now. He says, human growth horns are used for the 185-pound football player that all of a sudden became 265 pounds, right? They go through this whole HGH you know, um, taking uh, this growth hormone and then it's, it's artificially created chemicals designed to speak up, uh, speed up the process of, of growth in a new tissues. He says, he goes, however, there's a way for God's children to speed up the maturity process, to grow at a much faster clip than is normally in the case. He says, you won't like this. He said, it's called persecution. When believers are persecuted for their faith, when they're harassed, they're tormented, and some even killed, when being identified as a follower of Jesus Christ subjects one to all kinds of opposition and humiliation, the Lord's people decide in a hurry to what extent they believe him and believe in him. And how important he is to them in the midst of persecution. So that's why we have to ask ourselves the question, what is God calling us to? How about the Afghans right now, the Christians in Afghanistan, dying at the hands of Taliban? The Taliban are knocking on the door and killing them. Their persecution, they're seeing moments before they pass to go into the presence of the Lord, is a greater accomplishment for them than anything here on earth and they're sitting there and they know that God is calling them to inside to his side and we in our freedoms we here in America at times in our comforts we get caught up in the little things that we forget about what God has called us for the bigger things he's called us to spiritual maturity He's called us to go to the next level. That's what he's calling us. In fact, number two, he's calling us to be trainers. And trainers by training others, not only ourselves. That's what they were doing. They needed to be trained. That's why Hebrews 5.14 says this. It says, but solid food is for the mature. For those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. It's maturity, full-grown maturity. That's what the word means, an adult. In this context, the word means, it means not just maturity in a, in a moral integrity way, but it's more than of a completion of God's purposes in the life of the believer. So it's not just being morally, uh, having moral integrity, 
or having good recognition of that, but it's the idea that we have to have a goal, and that goal is to get to the next level, to get to the next level. It's going from first grade to second grade, second grade to third grade, third grade to fourth grade. And the bigger goal is high school. And then when you go to college, the bigger goal is graduation. And then if you want to go on to your master's, that's the bigger goal. And we'll work countless hours, day and night, to make sure we understand the information, work hard, diligent, do whatever we can, change our schedules, all our priorities, everything we have to do, give up our, all of our habits and anything we spend money on just so that we could reach that goal. But when it comes to Christianity, we're like, yeah, well, you know, if I feel like it. You know, like if I feel like it, if it fits in my schedule. When God has called us to be his representatives, Christ's representatives, everywhere we go to be a light for him, how in the world are we going to be a light for Jesus in a world that so desperately needs Christ? And all we do is say, well, I, I, I don't know, maybe if I have some time. Maybe if, maybe if it's a chance in my schedule. Well, what are you doing now? Well, I'm studying. I'm going for a bigger goal. Because we're living in the here and the now, and we're not thinking about the bigger goal of eternity. People need to see. They need to understand the Christ in me or in you so that they can be saved from their sin and death. Is that our goal? Can I hear you guys? Is that our goal? Then I'm telling you, this is a huddle, and let's go out and do it for the kingdom of God. Because that's our goal. That's what God's calling us to. I'm not calling you to that. God's calling all of us to that. But we have to be willing to go to the next level and not sit back and try to complain that you're not getting your way. Wear your mask. Let's get over it. Let's, let's talk about the gospel. Let's talk about Jesus. He's the one who saved me, not the government. Not this world, not a democracy, a theocracy. I didn't plan this. God just seems to be moving me right now. Y'all with me? Because that's how I'm, I'm sensing it. We got to get there for the sake of the gospel. Listen, I'm an older man now. I used to be able to pick up a 35-pounder. Right, Marcus? I used to be able to run these and just, just go like this. Now it hurts. Now it hurts. Now it hurts. So what I do, I have to settle for some bands. I got to settle for some of this stuff, Right? Tag, it's not the same, right, Marcus? It's just not the same. It doesn't give me the pump. So what am I doing? I'm doing about 100 of them just to get the pump, just doing everything I can, just doing something, you know, just to get it going. Now, these are a little bit more resistant, so I'm just like, Ugh. but it's going to do something. And then I said, I got to get into some shape, right? So I used to be able to do this. I used to be able to just do this. I used to do this about 30 seconds or so, right? Here's the old man, 52, ready to go, right? You know what I'm saying? And I used to be able to move my feet and stuff. Can't do it. 10 seconds, I'm out of breath. I hope I make it through the sermon. <laughs> but here's my point. We got to put our hands and start getting back to where we were before. We got to start somewhere for the sake of the gospel because that's priority. It's important. We got to get to the next level. We got to be teachers. We got to be trainers. We got to be willing to do that. Because training, training doesn't involve just directing people, but demonstrating it to them. Easy to just tell someone. Easy to just tell someone. More difficult to demonstrate it to them. 
That's important. It's so key right now. It's vital. Number three, we've got to be transformed by the truth. That's what the next level Christian is going to do. Look with me to chapter six. This is important because in chapter six, he goes on to discuss about maturity. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go to maturity. See, the word go on, carry on, lead the ways in the passive, which means it's God's work in the believer as he is doing the work as they mature. But what happens is the believer has to put their hands on something and get involved. They've got to be willing to do the work. Then God is working. So it's not me doing the work ultimate. It's God giving me the strength to do the work. That's the key. Because too often what happens is we sit back. And we don't carry on. We don't let God work through us. We start to get sluggish and lazy and dull of hearing. God is speaking. And he's speaking loud and clear. This is why the author is, is careful to lay it out. Because He's talking about Judaism versus new Christian doctrine. He's talking about Judaism connecting to Christianity. Look with me here just in that part. It says, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. See, turning away where it says that the repentance from, from dead works, he's, he's talking about something very specific. He's talking about how one can understand spiritual maturity. Because with spiritual maturity, one is, in, one is involved finding identity and indispensable truths of Christ. So here are the in, indispensable truths of Christ. He's laying a foundation. He's saying, first of all, repentance from dead works and a faith toward God. See, in the Old Testament, the soul who sins will die. It says in Ezekiel 18.4. So one will die in their works, or they say the repentance from dead works, because it comes from a heart that is evil. We know that, and Jeremiah even says about the heart is deceitful about all things and desperately wicked. But in the New Testament, it also says that, for the wages of sin is death. In the Old Testament, it says one can turn from dead works to faith in God, the God of Yah what we call Yahweh. In the New Testament, it becomes complete and mature through Christ. Acts 20, verse 21, testifying both to Jews and to the Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's where he's showing that what was in Judaism is now more complete in the New Testament Christianity of Christ. Number two, as you see in part of this verse, which we can go back and just highlight this right here, is that the number, number two thing he talks about in verse 2, it says, and in the instruction about washings, the laying on of hands. This is important, too, because the word is baptizo, which we understand as baptism, but in the Old Testament, it was talking about washings. They were ceremonial cleansings that were to be fulfilled through the spiritual cleansing. Mentioned, like even Ezekiel 36, 25, it says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. He was making that connection of the Holy Spirit that is to come permanent and dwelling in the New Testament. In the New Testament, through trusting in Christ, the believer receives the born-again baptism of regeneration. And at the presence of the Holy Spirit comes in, Titus 3, 5, 
So in the Old Testament, the laying on of hands was for identification. In the New Testament, it was for healing, commissioning, and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, the initial point of salvation. So you have repentance from dead works to faith, which is a foundational component of salvation. Then you have the same thing, being touched with the Holy Spirit and being laid on hands by the Holy Spirit to do the work. And now you have the last part of this, which he says this. He goes, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. The resurrection of the dead in the Old Testament was that one would have, after they pass away, would have to answer to a judgment. And the Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead in Acts 23, 6. But in Daniel chapter 12, 2, some will awaken to everlasting life, he says. Daniel, he says, others, everlasting contempt. So there is the resurrection of the dead, but it wasn't specific. In the New Testament, it is specific. Jesus Christ is the resurrection of the life, and his followers are promised to rise with him. Romans 6, when we, we get baptized, we understand that it's symbolism of that we will die in, his, in our sins and then rise with Jesus as well. There will be judgment. There's two things inevitable in life. We die and we're judged. But we must decide to obey God. Learn about the Christian truths so they will simply transform our minds, but also our hearts. So we can grow spiritually and live our lives righteously, convicted of sin, confessing sin, repenting of our sin, and surrendering our lives to Christ daily, dying to self and living for Christ, wholeheartedly devoted to living according to the will of God. That's what it's all about. See, what it comes down to is simply this. Then when you see about um, spiritual maturity, spiritual maturity involves head knowledge motivating a heart response. That was the difference with the people in the Old Testament. The heart response wasn't there. So now we come across to the most controversial passage, I think in all of Scripture, but specifically here we'll say in the New Testament, as you... I don't have it there. If you have your Bible with, with you and you want to open it up, you can. I'll read it to you. It's in chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. And this is not, I will not give it its due worth for just a couple of minutes here, but I'm just going to give you a more of a synopsis. Because we have to understand that the immature believer needs to move on towards maturity. Some scholars believe, as we would say last week was the Arminius belief, that this passage right here and those who are the audience of this particular book are truly dedicated, fully followers of Jesus Christ and that they can lose their salvation at the sin of apostasy, which means rejecting Christ totally and walking away and never coming back. What the author is saying, it's impossible. Now, this is a key word here. It's impossible. And that's, we got to stop. Not possible at all. Some would say it's difficult. I think the word is impossible in the Greek, and this is why it's impossible, because the author said this three times in the book. It's impossible for God to lie, Hebrews 6.18. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, Hebrews 10.4. It says in Hebrews 11.6, without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So it's impossible for someone to claim they're walking with God and, and then in the listing of the participles that are there, each one of them, 
to say now they're going to fall away. It's impossible for them to return back to repentance and to turn back and to be saved again. It's impossible. So the Calvinists would say those that were listed there in verses 4 into 5, those very words that if I could just read quickly to you, is it says, For those who were enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, who had shared in the Holy Spirit, and had tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, they would say these were not really committed followers of Christ. They may not even be saved. I won't go so far as they're not saved. I believe they were. But I don't believe that they were absolutely committed as they would understand. They were immature believers. Now, let me just give you, let me give you another synopsis of soteriology. God sees the heart, Romans, right? He sees the heart. He's the one who saves the person from sin to, to saint. He's the one who saves them from their sin. So God sees the heart, right? We don't see the heart. What we see, as the book of James says, is the fruit of salvation. We see how someone acts, their attitude, their actions, and how they speak of the Lord and confession of sin and conviction. We see how they live and that they confess the Lord Jesus Christ. But we don't see the heart. God only sees the heart. We see the fruit. We're fruit inspectors. So we don't know where these people will turn out. I don't know where you're going to turn out. You don't know where I'm going to turn out. There's so-called prominent pastors that have pulled away from the faith in recent years. Prominent pastors. Most would say they weren't truly saved. I don't know. I believe they, I believe this. I'll tell you what I believe. I'm not going to sit and judge and I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe, as I said last week, if we're the house of God, then we will hold fast to the confession and our confidence. We will hold fast. And I believe here now, if you're in Christ, you and I are called to spiritual maturity to persevere. We're not to look back. We're look to, we're to look forward. See, that's what he's saying. Don't look back. Don't look back to your immaturity. Look forward. Advance. Next, next, next level. That's what you got to focus on. That's what he's saying. Or I believe that what the author is saying is let's not focus on whether or not we're going to go back and think about it and stop thinking about what this all means here in these verses more than we're going to advance forward. Now, let me tell you why I'm going to say that. Because look with me. If you, you have your Bibles open, chapter 6, now verse 7. It says, For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it, it produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated. It says, Receives a blessing from God. But if, a bear, if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Meaning we are all soil. The soil of our hearts are surrendered to God, and God is the one. We cultivate our walk with God. We walk towards maturity. We work. We don't get lazy and sluggish, but we work. We work. We try to get to the next level, but our working is surrendering to God, proactively being passive toward God, meaning we surrender, God. Do what you want. Do your work in me. Here I am, dedicated as a servant and a follower of Jesus Christ, ready to do what you want me to do, an obedient servant. But we're moving forward, and we're going to the next level. We're going from kindergarten to first grade, first grade to second grade, second grade to third grade. And if we have to be held back, okay, we'll be held back. But we're always thinking about going forward, always with forward progress. And that's what this, now he goes on to say this, verse 9. This is the kicker. He says, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things that belong to salvation. I mean, we look forward to the better things of salvation. I'm not going to look at myself. I'm going to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. Chapter 12, 
verse 1 and 2 into 3. That's what he's talking about. He's saying that. He goes on, for God is not unjust as to overlook your work, that the love that you have shown his name is serving the saints as you still do. Meaning he's saying, you have been walking with the Lord. Now keep going. You're going to fail. You're going to fall. But you need to understand, we need to focus on moving forward for the sake of the gospel. We have to persevere because Christians are moving with such struggle. Look with me to chapter 10, and then I'll end this with our last statement. Chapter 10, chapter 10, if you can turn with me. Chapter 10, it's good to hear those pages turning. Okay, verse 32, it says this, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you have compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves have a better possession and an abiding one. Wow. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. Remember chapter 3, verse 6 and verse 14? He says, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. We need to persevere in our faith because perseverance isn't a work. Because when you are the house of God, you will hold confident. So when you're walking with God, you will endure. You will persevere. It's not whether, well, will you or will you not? You will because God will work through you. We don't know what the end looks like, but we focus on the end because the end is glorification. That's what we do. We focus on the hope of Christ and his return. That's what helps our obedience today. And that's important. So we need to be in that next level mindset, always moving forward. Because in the midst of the struggle... Next-level Christians are empowered to pursue Christ passionately and persevere until the end, receiving the inheritance of the promises of God. That's what it's all about. Chapter 6, 11 and 12. As we desire, each one of you show the same earnestness. That's passion. That's zeal. To have the full assurance of hope until the end. That's what he's calling us, to passionately pursue God and persevere. And he goes, so that you may not be what? Say it. Not sluggish. Come on, say it. Sluggish, lazy, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. That's what he's calling us to. So we're next level Christians, ready to move forward. If we fall back a little bit, we get back up and we move forward. We're going to fail. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fail at times, but we're not failures. And we're not mistakes. God's called us. So what's your grade level? What grade are you at? Are you smarter than a fifth grader? <laughs> Let me give you a pop quiz right now, the teacher and me. Everybody ready? Here's a pop quiz. Could you share the gospel with a person without looking at the Bible? True or false? All right, that's good. Now, the next question is, are you doing it? <laughs> Do you have a daily devotion time with God? What does your prayer life look like? Are you hearing God's voice through his word? Are you discipling someone? Is someone discipling you? These are questions that we have to ask God, are we doing it? Now, how would you grade yourself? 
I don't grade myself super well. I've got to go back to the table and say, Lord, what am I doing? I want to be challenged to get to the next level. So the question is, are we going to advance to spiritual maturity? Are we as Christians going to continue to fall back and fall into laziness and sluggish? I, that's a warning. And when there's a warning, I want to be the one to ask the question. God, I don't want to fall into that warning. I want to make a difference for your kingdom. And you can only answer those questions. I can't. But collectively, when we're working together to get to the next level, we're stronger together. We're better together. We're stronger and linked together. It's not just the military that says it. We could say it as a church. So if you're feeling a little offended, like I'm intruding on your walk with Christ, I'm not trying to do that. But if you're offended, I, I ask you to take that offense to God. And say, God, take you and bring you to the next level. Because i got to do the same. And as we do that, let's move forward for the kingdom of God. Let's be those people that God's called us to. Amen? Amen. All right, okay, so let's, let's pray. Let's pray and ask God to do that work in us. Father, thank you. Today, Lord, we are your children, admitting, Lord, that we get lazy and sluggish. Admitting, Lord, because we can't fool you. We can say yes to everything that has been stated, but yes, Lord, we need to be saying yes to you. God, we fail at times. We make mistakes. But thank you that you can pick us back up. Thank you, Lord God, that you've given us everything to pertaining to life and godliness. Thank you for the riches of the Christian doctrine. Thank you, Lord God, for reminding us how important it is for us to lay hold of the gospel in our lives. So I pray, Lord, today that as we are feeling that sense of where are we in our walk with you, may we as a church, a Grace Church Waldorf, get serious about getting to the next level and be serious about moving forward for your kingdom's sake. God, may we look to your word, may we look to prayer, may we look to being discipled, may we look to disciple others, may we look to share the gospel of Jesus Christ whenever we come in contact. Father, thank you in advance what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.